What's going on, everyone? Tanner Poppet here of Madrost and Poppet's Corner. Just reminding you that our new record, Charring the Rotting Earth, is now available at nolifetomatorecords.com. That's right. Just go on the search bar, type in nolifetomatorecords.com, and support. Again, nolifetomatorecords.com. Now, let's check out the episode you came to see. What's going on, everyone? Welcome. Episode 96 of Poppet's Corner. And uh, I am going all the way to, uh, I would say, East Coast area uh, with this with this one. I'm not too familiar with with the uh, with the, uh, North Carolina, but I'd like to bring on uh, the drummer extraordinaire, multi instrumentalist, uh, Mr. Joshua Ward. How you doing today, sir? Hey, I'm doing good. <laughs> How about you? <laughs> I'm good, man. Uh, from from Zael, if I'm pronouncing the band name correctly, hopefully. <laughs> so make sure people people know the band name you know how to how to properly pronounce it but uh yeah thanks so much for coming on the show man this will be fun hey thank you for having me absolutely so how the show works again um i'm gonna pretty much go through your entire career and if uh if you'll indulge me man i'd love to get started sure right <laughs> um you know i just kind of like to start with with just you know you hearing music for the first time and kind of what was what was the actual track that you heard that kind of jump-started this whole thing that, you know, why you're sitting in, in your studio right now? Right, right. Man, it, it, it actually starts with a movie. It starts with Mortal Kombat. So it was like 94, 95, and, and I always like, you know, Mortal Kombat was my thing. And when Scorpions fight, you can hear Fear Factory in the background. It's the song Zero Signal. And I, you know, when I was a kid, I was sitting there going, what is that sound? It sounded awesome. And it had this, it was brutal, but it had this kind of techy sound. Well, I don't know, like otherworldly sound. And I think that's what sealed the deal. And then, of course, uh, weirdly, I think, uh, I mean, the problem is, I, I think I joined a band. By the time I was 12 years old, I already joined an extreme metal band. So really early on, I just got a taste for a lot of different bands. But yeah, it started with Fear Factory. And then I started going more towards like Emperor and Demi Bogier and uh, things like that. So, but my brother liked, he liked metal, you know, he, he liked like uh, Metallica one and I would hear stuff like that, but Fear Factory's what done it, Mortal Kombat. So you got into extreme music first? You didn't get into like classic rock or, or pop or I don't know, rap or disco or anything. It was just full on extreme music from the, right from the get go. Yeah, I mean, my mama listened like Leonard Skinner and Molly Hatchet and stuff like that. And so, I don't know. So, it's like it even dawned on me. I'm just sitting there. I love watching, but I love soundtracks. I, lo I love listening to movie soundtracks. So, that was kind of my thing. And even to this day, I love I love good scoring, you know, almost classical music. But when I heard that Fear Factory play, it's like my brain went, something just changed. And I was like, I'm a musician. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Okay. So that explains a lot to where how we how we kind how we kind of came about today with with uh, with the Zyle stuff. So which we'll get into. Um, don't worry, we won't skip it. But um, yeah. you know, so what about movie soundtracks? You know, you know, did it for you? And and we'll get to the extreme metal stuff. But you know, I'm I'm kind of curious with a, a classical. Um, did you have a classical background at all after this, or wanted to learn how to compose classically, or? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I was, uh, I mean, at this time, I might have been like, I don't know, what, 94, what was I like, I can't, I don't know how old I was at that time, but I was under 10 years old easily, so, uh, but yeah, so, I don't know, but yeah, listen to, listen to certain uh, soundtracks, and, uh, oh my goodness, was that me? First thing off, <laughs> but uh, let's see, um, uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I wasn't classically trained, but I did uh, eventually start studying musical theory and things like that. So, and and probably besides metal, I would sit and listen to really cool classical music. I would listen to uh, Danny Elfman and uh, uh, composers like that. I just like the really weird vibes it gave, and plus it kind of took you to a different place. You know, I, I love escapism. I love to get away. So, absolutely. Um and with this in mind, you know, when when did you start becoming aware of like, I don't know, actually wanting to, to pick up an instrument? 
Man, I beat on everything all the time. I mean, actually, I remember I used to get these cardboard boxes, and I had some Freon cans. I was poor, man. And so I just start beating Freon cans. But to be honest, you know, I actually had pretty good – actually had a really good rhythm very fast for some reason. And uh, I remember on my boxes trying to play um, – uh, I think I was trying to play, like, Metallica stuff, but I think I, I got to, like, uh, a band, like Slayer. I started hearing, like, Season in Abyss – and Rain and Blood, and here I'm on boxes, just playing it, and I could play it, like, when I was, like, you know, 19 years old, and so it just kind of led into uh, uh, other uh, instruments, so I started with drums first, and uh, one day, I just don't, I mean, I love hearing all this music, but I couldn't play it, so I just sat down, and I, I worked on piano, then I went to guitar, and most of it was self-taught, but of course, along the way, I found really good musicians who I was like, hey, can you teach me some things? And so I just kind of adopt that student mindset. Like every time I meet somebody who's phenomenal, I'm like, hey, can you show me something? And to this day, that's kind of how I keep adding to my palette of instruments. Interesting. Well, well I mean, it does take some patience to do this. And I'm, I'm, I got to ask, you know, where do you feel that that patience kind of came from in your in your upbringing to want to learn just to sit down to to learn not just one instrument, but a, but a multiple, you know, array of instruments. Right. I don't know. It's like, but when I was a kid, it was just a feeling. It was, you know, it was. I, I'm trying to be too sentimental, but I um, I it was a rough, it was a rough upbringing. You know, it was very dangerous where I lived to be, and so music was my way to just get away. And so I'm very, uh, I'm an ADHD. I'm very you know, hyper. And whenever I find something, I focus on it, you know, crazy. So it's like, I'm all over the place until I find that one thing that locks me in. So, you know, uh, but as I grew into other instruments, it was mostly because I trained a lot of martial arts and, uh, my teacher was a old school martial artist. So he, he, the way the discipline it took, it wasn't just like, ah, you know, this man a kick across the throat. <laughs> so it was, it was this much com uh, complicated thing. And uh, uh, so that embedded, I think, discipline. Like, and, and his idea was, if you can, if you can train good, then you can play music good. If you can play music good, then anything you can do, you'll be good at. And he's right. Like, when I went to med school, you know, because I, I got a degree in Chinese medicine, and they oh, talk okay. about the three great classics: is uh, uh, music, martial arts, and medicine. If you can master all three, it it, it provides a gateway to understanding uh, anything. You know, it's it lays a base foundation for life and uh yeah <laughs> interesting how long did you do martial arts for when did you start around the time where you were kind of just first discovering music or a little bit after it was actually right at the same time you know like as i grew up fighting a lot because of the home life you know and uh because of that and plus you know uh, so can i ask where, where are you from i'm from i'm from southern california Okay, okay, so I'm in the, in the mountains up here in North Carolina. It could be very backwoods, like so backwoods that it's its own culture. And sometimes some of the stories that come out, people are like, that sounds like a movie. It's like, no, it, it, this is growing up. You know, you, 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 you know it's rough. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm trying to give the PG version because <laughs> it, it's because of this complex thing. It's what led to me into music. I mean, growing up for me, was like, uh, hide, hide, make sure something bad don't happen, uh, run away because your mother helps you escape, and then you meet a metal guitar player who adopts you in pretty much, and from then on is this career and almost this loyalty to music because it, it allowed me to uh, get away from a very bad environment. And every what kills me is a lot of people uh, – will criticize like metal musicians smoke weed and all this i was like no they made me go to school because i ran away they took me in they made sure i went to school matter of fact we we supposed to have a huge tour my guitar player said no you're you're going you're going to school you know and uh, they made sure i was clothed fed school and just so happens i got to play metal every evening right. you know so well, it was great and uh, so it sounds like and, and correct me if i'm wrong but you kind of almost needed to like to learn, you know, some, some Taekwondo or karate or, or martial arts, you know, just to survive. Right. It's kind of like what music was for you. It's like a, you know, escapism, right? right. Kind of. Okay. Interesting. Now, um, how old did you say you were when you first started to do martial arts around 
five, six, seven era? Uh, a little bit later, uh, uh, maybe about uh, 13 series. Because, every, you know, everybody, you know, when they're like, oh, I was four years old training, you went series when he was four years old. He was picking a nose and, and hoping that somebody had a cheeseburger afterwards. And so Sirius was 13, you know. Uh, but uh, but I took it very serious, and it became a foundation. And, and the art I train is a very complicated – it's a very rare art. It's from Okinawa. It's called Utlas. That's complicated. But I'll say the more public name is like a Uchinari. Uh, it's, it's something that's not very known. <laughs> but it was very – it was very uh, – it was a lot different from American karate stuff. So the, the amount of discipline and dedication, it wasn't like going to an hour long class. Right. This was a sometimes 11 hours, <laughs> you oh know? Gosh. Wow. Yeah. So, so it was a dedication. Did it, did, so it, did it, can I, can I ask you, did, did it also provide you with like, kind of like a safe haven almost? Because if you're going to, you know, uh, 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 a structure such as that, you know, for 11 hours, that's, it could provide some, you know, a lot of not, not just structure in your, in your life, but you know, it, um, a place to always go to like your sanctuary. It's like, you know, I'm protected here. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. I, and again, I think that's why I've dedicated my life to music and martial arts. That's kind of my, my thing because it gave me a way to break away from a, horrible family restart and now i can pass this to my boy and whoever else and so it was a very positive thing it's funny writing this extreme stuff blowing up planets right. uh but right. it allows you to vent and become more at peace to some degree you know no it is excuse my ignorance here but is is martial arts kind of um is it well known in the Carol in north carolina or around that era area for you is there a lot of like Places to train for martial arts? Well, that's complicated. You'd have to have a whole, because I'm also a historian of the arts as well. And that's actually what, mm -hmm. like I said, uh, it's kind of what pursued me, because I also retained a master's education in, in uh, um, classical Chinese medicine, just like acupuncture and uh, things like that. Uh, so I took it really seriously. But the problem is, is most martial arts schools you go to are just made up crap. But that's there's a reason though, and it has to do more with the fact of how they earn money. Imagine, imagine you're a dude and you go to Okinawa, Japan, and you're like, "Listen, I know we bombed you and everything, and I know because Okinawa was not uh, Japanese either. It used to be called its own kingdom called Uchina, and so uh oh, hope my signal. There you go. All right, so. Uh, Uchina was his own, was his kingdom, right? And no one knows mm -hmm. about it. But when the when the uh, Japanese invaded, uh, because of it's a complicated thing, but they pay, mostly pay tribute to China. And you can already imagine when J Japan they probably wanted some intel and Okinawa. Well, Uchina at the time was like, nah, you know. But there was more reasons they took over Uchina, recalled Okinawa. They were brutal. So they've been they've had a long history of people trying to mess them up. In short, they seen that they could beat the crap out of people pretty good. And they were like, well, you got to teach us this. So they took an art that was called 2D, and they refined They brought it to Japan. They said, take everything Chinese out of it. And that's what became karate. But see, there are people still on the island that still train the old way that go back to uh, China hand. Two refers to the Tang Dynasty, and D meaning hand, you know, for a combative system, which was vicious, grappling season, a lot of throat stomps, <laughs> right? So, but saying that, uh, if you go to Okinawa, Japan, and you're like, hey, teach me something, they'll be like, you pay me? Yeah, all right, yeah, I'll teach you something. Block, punch, kick, there. And they send these people back to America. They and This is in the 70s. They open a bunch of schools, jumping up, kicking boards, calling it punch, block, kick. And unfortunately, they didn't get the real art. They got a really watered-down version. But lately, there's a lot of lack of interest in Okinawa because future generations don't care. So there are some Westerners actually getting the real art. And it looks so different from these arts that, you know, it's not 100% their fault. But a lot of these schools, they know it's made up crap. And they'll tell you, like, I want to give you a black belt. Three years, hi-ya, and they do these things. And then you go in a fight. And a guy slaps you in the face with a chair and shoots your mama, and you're like, "It didn't, it didn't work." <laughs> what uh, what what belt um did you end up getting 
know, um, towards, I'm assuming, I mean, I don't even know what is past a black belt at this, at this point, but you know, for you personally, where did your training, where, how far did your training actually go to as far as a, a belt color? Technically, I got a black belt or even a second degree black belt in, in Shotokan Karate. That's actually where I started first. And then I went to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and did the whole MMA thing, which is cool if you're in sport. But, you know, when you're on the street and three guys jump in, they start stabbing you and shooting at you. You know, you can jump on the ground all you want. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm going to watch you. So I needed something. And then I met this man. This, uh, my, my first teacher introduced me to this old Marine who lived in Okinawa. And... I never had my butt kicked so bad. It's so easy. Like, I'm about 270 pounds. I made a little bit of cheeseburger, you know, but I need to cuss. But I'm a little bit big dude. This dude beat me half to death in a second. And then I got to go to Okinawa. I found the truth out. You come back here, you realize that it's a joke over here. It's, it's, it's what, you know, you ever tell somebody, where do you send the kids? I send my kids to do karate. Over there, they're like, we teach you this to protect your life and to protect your life means you might have to kill a man. <laughs> so why are you over here going, uh, 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 and you know, I go over there and they beat me after the first day over there. They knocked me out. And I'm like, man, yeah, that's great. Y'all are mean, but they're the sweetest people. I love the Okinawan culture. Um, so yeah. <laughs> right. Well, dude. And, and so you actually trained in Okinawa, right? So you just, it sounds like what you said, you actually flew there to get mm -hmm. some training and, and brought it back here and stuff. And, um, you know, w with your training and whatnot, and, and with you even just picking up an instrument, you know, did you find a, a correlation? And uh, give me, give me the correlation between the discipline with, um, you know, martial arts and applying it to say your drums for the first time and, and, and why that specific instrument for you. Right. Well, the thing is physics is physics. And I think one thing about our art, uh, to give a, give example, Western Western arts remind me of Western medicine. It's a protocol based thing. If a man punches towards your head, bring your hand up. But in a real, you know, in a real fight, that ain't gonna happen. In a real fight, you don't know what's coming. You're gonna be sitting there and you get slapped in the teeth, and you're like, "Oh God, what happened?" <laughs> right. Well, the best thing to do is go back to your foundation. Look at your foundation. Develop a set of principles that is malleable and universal. Right. And so the same idea goes to music, goes to drums. And so when uh, it's the discipline, kind of like when I'm working a technique and I realize, man, I suck at this thing. Instead of me trying to learn a cheat or something, I start over. I go back to the fundamentals. I examine it. And then in that is where I find your answer. The answer is going backwards, not going forwards. You can't even go forwards because you didn't get it the first time. So keeping that set of principles helps me apply it to anything. So if I want to get better at guitar, I start playing. I'm like, okay, I suck. And then you, people start looking on YouTube for cheats. Don't do, go back to your fundamentals. Start examining. It's probably you haven't got the muscle memory yet. You haven't developed the the, 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 the skills yet. And so martial arts to me kind of gives me that. Uh, but it but it also teach. It sounds like it also teaches you patience because people want to cheat when they have no patience. You know, they don't have the patience to try and learn it. You know, properly or whatever. But which is a sad thing, right? Um, now, you know, just going to, you know, to the drums or whatever, I'm just kind of curious, what were, who were some of the, the drummers that inspired you just to pick up the, the drums? Phew, man. You know, of course, here in Dave Lombardo, Slayer. I loved, uh, you know, I was a big Rush fan. I loved Rush. Uh, I love Iron Maiden. And so, uh, like, listen to Neil Peart play, Dave Lombardo. And then I got to more extreme stuff. Nick Barker was probably my first, like, whoa, he played with Demi Borgir and Cradle Fields, and especially when, that, what is it? So I always had Burke copies of this, so I had to relearn the name of the albums, but it was uh, uh, Dysphoria, Misanthropic, oh man, I messed up the name, but Demi Borgir album. Oh, and yeah, hearing yeah, Nick yeah. Barker, oh my God, I remember hearing, I was actually on tour, I was only 14, and I ran away from home, long story, and I was on the tour with members from the Mentors, which was pretty big. And we're touring, doing a whole East Coast tour. And somebody put in D.B. Borgir. And I was like, what the is that? His cymbal playing was like jazzy, but really fast bass drumming. So then my next drummer was George Coleus. And when I heard him, I was like, all right, this is next level drumming. 
And I guess that's why I'm so blessed that now being I I am a tech for him. Um, you know, it's it's crazy. My mentor, uh, the guy I looked up to, and and I, you know, the bass player from Nile plays with us. He introduced right. me to George. George, play George. He actually asked, "Hey, you want to be a drum tech? Help me out." So I go on the road. He's teaching me rudiments. We're out there. It's it's really cool. And then I got to I got to tech for Pete Sandoval, uh, okay. who was with Morbid Angel, but Fire. And you know, he was he was the sweetest person. I gave him chicken nuggets all the time. <laughs> but I got to meet my uh I got to meet my idols and not uh, Derek Roddy. Oh man, you know. So these were my oh and, and like modern you have uh um why am I uh how do I just lost his name uh, uh from Origin. How did I I lost his name. He's on a kill me too. <laughs> I'm friends on I didn't forget my name. Uh, uh, John Longstreth. Yeah. So John and, of course, Dave McGraw from Cattle Decapitation. And watching him play. And and Francisco from Flesh God is what helped me start doing double strokes. So Interesting. Now, now with, you know, walk me through just playing in your first band and getting the guys together to do this. Because, you know, if you're, what, 14, 15 years old, say you come out off the road and playing with your with your buddies or right so the first band the, uh that's not zion <laughs> again i was a guy named ralph barnett uh he was in a band called truth of sorrow and in short again i had to run away from home long story short my mama met up with him told him that i need to get this boy out of here because it was a dangerous situation and he loved playing metal and pretty much she let me go stay with him a lot to get me out of the situation. So with that, we formed, I ain't going to tell you the first name of the band. It's so bad. <laughs> I think, I think nowadays everything's so PC that like, if I even said the name of it, people were like, what? Cause already people are like, who would let a 12, 13 year old run off with a bunch of 28 and 30 year olds. And I'm like, I didn't like that. It was, they, they literally saved my life probably. Uh, but yeah, that's it. it so we, the band became dead speed. Uh, then it became Blue Man's God, which became what our film as well, which was the project which got out to pretty good. And then now it's Zio. Right, right, right. Which we'll get to all those, trust me. Um, well, now, you know, you coming off of what did the road teach you at a, such a young age that you applied maybe to how to do business in, in, in a band? Uh, big gangster. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what I learned. <laughs> The music industry is rough, man. <laughs> uh, um, but no, it, it teaches you, you know, being on the road teaches you how to survive a little bit. It kind of reminds me because, you know, I did a little little thing in the Army for a while, and it, it, it's, it's very similar. Uh, so it's it, it teaches you just how to cope and be pliable. Because a good example is I took some young guys on the road a few years ago, uh, and it was the first time. Oh, man, you know, everybody, for the first two days, you're all like, Oh, this is awesome. Then you're out there for like a week and somebody farts and they're like, I hate you. <laughs> right? They they don't know how to just you gotta learn how to just let stuff move. You're probably gonna get mad, you know. So, you know, it, it teaches you how to be more pliable as a person, how to how to be kind of a survivalist. You, you become re resourceful. Man, you you can eat all kinds of stuff. I didn't eat tree bark. Yeah. I, did, I didn't really eat tree bark. <laughs> yeah. Well, dude, I mean, I've, I've certainly, I certainly can relate to that as a fellow musician and, and band guy myself, done a lot of tours, so I can definitely relate to it and say like when the band breaks down or whatever, you learn how to just go with the situation. And Ooh. as Bruce Lee says, you got to be water. So that's what I always apply to myself too. You got to be water, right? And you know, it's always going to happen too. You already expect yeah. that, you know, if you're on the road, this, you're probably going to break down. This is going to happen. And yeah. I like watching people freak out. Ah, and I'm sitting there like, it's cool. We'll get it. <laughs> that's why you got triple. That's why you got triple A, man. That's what they're there for. <laughs> um, now, walk me through um, just getting into the studio for the first time. Maybe just to, to record a demo or, or an EP. Um, walk me through just, I don't know, getting the know-how to, to do that sort of thing in, in North Carolina. Because, again... I'm sure it's not like what, how it is in Southern California with you have a plethora of just studios everywhere. So, I mean, how does somebody like you 
kind of find a, a studio to kind of kind of go to out there? Man, I, I swear, I, I know poor people's everywhere, but sometimes I realize that being in a mountain area up here in North Carolina, whew, we don't have a lot of money. <laughs> but <laughs> even when you think you're making a lot of money, you go out to another state, they're like, you make how much? Like, we make like minus $2 in a food stamp. <laughs> so, but we, my, our first studios were like people with Tascam, like Tascam tape four channel recorders. So we're like Tascamming, trying to overlay drums. And then at them, I never even knew what quantizer was. You just had to do 9,000 takes. And then I look back, I'm like, it sucked, but it was fun. <laughs> but actually I started, I'm the one who started this learning how to record. And I've been recording our stuff probably since I was like 16, 17. It was bad. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. And so I just kept adding and adding. And uh, we never ever had a chance to go to a professional studio. There's a really nice one. Like there's a guy named Jamie King. He's recorded like from between the Barry to me and stuff. He's up the, about an hour up the road. He's ma He mastered the latest album, which was really cool. And man, see, the price it takes to record, we, whew, you know, that's, that's, that's a house payment. <laughs> no, yeah. so we we learn how to do it ourselves. So, and you did it yeah. out of necessity. It sounds like everything we've done, we we've learned how to do video work, recording, everything we do ourselves. Because, who you pay a video person? Oh, you know, only eight thousand. I'm like eight thousand dollars. I give you eight thousand pennies. Maybe that's a lot of pennies too. I was like, I got to get to work. I got to learn some yeah. skills. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, so can you walk me through just the state of what, how the music, I don't know, um, it is in North Carolina, like the, the scene itself? No, man, check it out. Get on Facebook and go to NC Metal as a form. You will see the funniest, craziest stuff. Man, I don't, there are people that go on, like from Ohio and New York, just to see what is happening in the Carolina metal scene? Because <laughs> we have these drama fights that just go on, and it's epic. <laughs> I'll watch it. I'll be sitting there just watching. Yes, <laughs> do it. But uh, I, I wish I could say more about our local scene. I, I want to be more involved, but the clicks are so strong here uh, that I just kind of bypass it now. I hate to say that. I kind of just focus on our international. Like we we make more sales internationally anyway. Right. So, uh, well, it's not. Oh. It's not. A, I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure North Carolina is not like a big. I'm sure North Carolina is not a big market for metal in general. But I, I what where I'm going with this is, what kind of styles are are prevalent in North Carolina around your specific area for for a local kind of scene. I can't imagine there being, I don't know, a, a groove metal scene out there or something. So, like, what is the dominant metal factor out there? Oh, boy. Uh, here in, in the South, everybody likes Pantera and Lamb of God. If you go to anybody, and I love it, don't get me wrong. I, I, I grew up Pantera and Lamb of God, too. But it's like every band tries to recreate that. But they'll throw a little bit of corn somehow in there. I don't know how they do that. But they do it. And uh, I, you know what? It's cool, except, man, I, I'm trying to I'm trying to be nice about it because there are some <laughs> sweet bands. Uh, there are some really like the band Reticent, our one guitar player is in it. Uh, uh, what other band? Uh, the, I know the band Blackwater Drowning. They're really sweet people. Uh, uh, Eighth Around. They're they, they're on Napalm Records. They're actually from right up the road in Asheville. They're really sweet. Uh, I said, really sweet, good people, because, uh, you know, we have them fights where local bands will be like, uh, we are headlining. No, we're playing the third spot. No, you're not. We're senior. And, of course, even when we play, we played our own show, our own CD release, all the bands got a fight that we said, we'll open the show. We'll open our own show because no one cares. At the end of the day, they're still going to see you. Be happy. And so we opened a show. Boom. It was great. And it's like, I don't know why people, they do that so much. Um, uh, so the, to be honest, we've not played as many local shows. The last few times I've been out, 
we've just done some tours in East Coast, Canada, Mexico, and stuff like that. So, but um, also, you know, like I said, there are some unique bands coming up. I'm I'm really excited about this new generation because there's kind of this generational thing that happened. Like people in their 40s, you know, they had this like more of a fight. I felt like. You know, and so the younger people are a little more open-minded. So I'm kind of I'm kind of excited to see some new innovation come from some younger bands around here. So now it kind of sounds like the word necessity is it keeps getting brought up with your kind of journey so far. Like you know, you had to make your own rules due to necessity from from kind of the local market uh, with within the metal scene, right? You kind of had to make your own rules. You kind of had that out of necessity. Um, same with the you know you know martial arts and, and and everything else right right and there are what's really good here is that i mean there is a amazing by the way there, there are some like secret diamond in a rough kind of musicians here like i met i met a guitar player not too far from here one of the craziest guitar players i've ever seen like we have a lot of good musicians uh I feel like, I don't know if we're behind, it's a lot of education. One of the biggest things I'm trying to do right now is educate bands about the business end of it. Like, a lot of bands, they'll think, well, if they pay uh, $15,000 to buy onto this, whatever, three shows of a tour, and we're going to get out there, and these record labels going to be out there, and we'll probably get signed. And I'm like, no, that, that, ain't gonna, that probably ain't going to happen. There ain't no rep out here. And if there was, they're sleeping on the tour bus. Uh, most of the time we're sleeping anyway. You know, kind of like when I was on tour now last time. Uh, I mean, everybody's just trying to sleep. And so I feel bad because these bands that are open to get out there and they're like, ah, and we're like, oh, sorry, but we're, we're exhausted. We just rode like, you know, the half of U.S. And so, you know, and I feel bad, but they had that mindset. And what they do is I call it the like the war tribe syndrome venues are like watering holes and all the bands they 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 compete for that watering hole and they think if they get on the owner's good side they open they get to open for all these national acts that it'll provide this big opportunity and again i'm trying to explain to them that you no know, what's going to get you out there is focusing on your music focusing on your brand make a audience yourself look at how unique you have to be honest like to be honest i like critique uh, I have a, I, I'm with uh, John Asher, the publicist. Mm -hmm. He is amazing. He is brutal too, man. He'll tell mm -hmm. me, he's like, this video sucks. Sucks. <laughs> and I'm going, you are right, man. And so I go back, it, you know, it always kind of stings, but you, you got to take it and go, I need to redo this video. He is right. right. It sucks. And, but fans here, oh my God, they will, they cannot handle it. They're like, what do you mean? It's like, stop that. It's okay. You know, that's part of learning and getting better. And right, so trying right. to give them that formula of to succeed, you got to, I mean, you got to get on the road a little bit. You got to develop some good merch. You got, there's some business things you're going to have to do here. And there ain't no label representative sitting there waiting for you. <laughs> do you. Do you think you learned that mentality though, just by your experiences? And maybe most of the local bands have not experienced what it's like to kind of be out on the road and, and the bigger picture. Right. Like you're mentioning like what the smaller picture is. Right. But you have the idea of like what the bigger picture should be just as myself. Um, I've experienced a lot, too, just just as you. But do you think the you learn the bigger picture just from experiencing life outside of um, like to quote you, your local watering hole? Right. Right. Um, I, I, had a, I mean, Actually, can you rephrase it as a little bit? It, it kind of cut in at the last moment. I start piecing together my brain. I was like, wait a minute. I'll say it again. Do you think that you learned the bigger picture, which is, um, you know, I, I think you learned the bigger picture from experiencing life outside of North Carolina, being out on the road, experiencing um, life rather than being stuck in your your a little box as, as we'll say right. as to quote you your local watering hole right gotcha. um, <laughs> yeah you know? yeah it's really i think it really is the uh it's there's this environment here because I, I used to play i mean i've been part of the scene since i was you know 
12, 13. Uh, I hate to say it, uh, not to, to downplay, but you see the same bands doing the same things, fighting over the same thing, and they're not progressing. And, and like I said, I, I don't, if they're happy, it's different. But whenever they say things like, why ain't we as big as this band? And it's like, well, I can tell you why, but you're going to get mad at me. <laughs> but yeah, it is the perspective of, um, and I don't know, it, 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 it isn't the idea of experience. Experience provides perspective. So getting away from here, get out of, yeah, getting away from this uh uh, environment, because there is this like set environment. You here, what you do is you play this venue, and then you play a venue that's only twenty minutes up the road. Then you play this venue, and then you play that venue, and then you play again like three times in one month. And it's like, whew, you don't exhaust everybody. Uh, it's it's you you know you know you got to get out there, man. You gotta you gotta cover some ground. And what they do is, and I hate to say, it, it's a lot of this fake or false. We have a lot of promoters that are not actually promoted. They're like. The owner's cousin, okay, Tim, okay. right, and they're like, he's a promoter. He's like, he don't know anything about marketing. He don't even know anything about the genres. He thinks he's gonna make cash. You know, as musicians, you know, especially in metal, we don't make the most money playing. You know, and you have to have a a enjoyment. Like me, if I play a show, maybe I'm not gonna get paid. I enjoy playing, though. That's what contracts are for. But right. <laughs> you know. I won't get me a, you know, but, um, uh, but yeah, they, they have all these false promises. These bands kind of buy into it a little bit too. They'll start like, uh, this one promoter just got in trouble for this crap. He's telling bands that they'll do this. He'll give them open up for like dive fetus and all this. And this one band, they had to sell so many tickets to do it that they end up to impress the promoter. They bought most of their own tickets and paid no joke about what like $3,000. It was something wow. crazy. Wow. And I'm going, what? Why would you do that? And they, and I feel bad because you can see in, in their face that they're like, we messed up, didn't we? It's like, yeah, yeah. No, because at the end of the day, you just lost $3,000. Right. They're not going home going, I'm going to sign these guys. They're going home going, I'm going to eat. <laughs> right. Well, well, given that, that you just, that you had just said, you know, what, how can we help? bands not have this mentality and kind of stick up for themselves you know just by saying no we're not going to do that and not being not feeling like you kind of are obligated to take every fucking show provided yeah I, and the thing is whenever i whenever i do talk to a musician i do try to provide and, and I, it's subjective you know I, I only have what i have and i can provide and i've been blessed to have some really cool mentors between members of like say like Nile and uh durant truesdale from alicia archers you know alicia archers is huge i mean they, i think they had like the most views uh on napalm records last year or something they're rocking it well the guitar player uh grant he is such a sweet person he will actually give insight he's the first person who signed us and everything and he, he will like explain the industry and how it works. And to be honest, if it wasn't for him, maybe I wouldn't have as much. So it's, it's that whole thing, just like martial arts. You don't know most people that go to a martial arts school, they don't know what they're getting as crap until they're getting a fight. And then right. they're like, Hmm, something sucks here. I just got beat up pretty easy. But then <laughs> they're like, where is this good school at? And it's like, dang it. So, in a lot of ways, I had to say I'm just fortunate. I'm blessed to have came across the right people, you know. But I am a I am a type of person that wakes up at seven in the morning and I am working on music and band stuff for probably seven hours. And if I go to work, get off, and it's seven hours after work. I every day I'm working on this. So through work, I think it leads up to the opportunities. So, uh, but I've been blessed. Is the whole point of that. So, so walk me through just forming uh, Raffermitz Well, and, you know, after changing the name from Blue Man's Gold in, you know, 2006 era, you know, just walk me through the formation of it in such a, a, a kind of a weird time for metal because, you know, you had kind of the new metal thing on, on its way out and, and Lamb of God was kind of almost taking over the world during this time with like bands like Shadows Fall and, and, and whatnot. So just walk me through on why this was a particularly good time to form a band such as this. Right. For us, music at that time was 
more again it was more than just forming a band it was a brotherhood you know we grew up you know i i seen these guys almost like pops you know uh, so uh but we did take a big shift so we were in a, we, we were in a band called blue man's god but everybody kept making blue man's group references and we we're like what is a blue man's group then we finally seen blue man's group we're like oh yeah. no kidding yeah yeah i get that <laughs> so at this time i love fabricating weird stories i love like elder scrolls i love morrowind i love playing morrowind uh, uh uh knights of the old republic that deep lore that came with stuff and um so i started building my own universe at the time well to be honest i cut my own my own album that was separate from what we got at the time we were playing more straight black metal we got more into like i don't know weird immortal mixed with demi borgir uh but but uh but then uh, uh i cut my own little album which technically was the first album of the of Refumus Well called Dimensions. Uh, uh, and that was technically my most of my side project that we mixed with some new members and it came out. But yeah, so we changed the name to Refumus Well. Then people said, what is a Refumus Well? Uh, in my fabricated universe, Refumus was the conscious, uh, dogmatic name appointed by these people on this planet uh, to black holes, like black hole, these gravity wells and they would talk about this uh, consciousness called Orafumit, uh, that if you were to travel and get caught into the event horizon, that this thing would come and uh, mess with you. <laughs> it was like a trickster deity of a sort, kind of Loki-ish. Uh, and we, we were just like, that's kind of a cool name. And our guitar player at the time, he's very redneck. He's like, hey, what did you use that name? And so we did. His name was Ralph. And we're like, so we made a bunch of jokes like, Ralph. You meant well, <laughs> but it was Ralph. I mean, Ralph Fumas well, uh, right. but we liked the name, but by the end of it, everybody kept calling us Rasputments well, uh, uh, <laughs> that was my favorite. <laughs> we got hacked. Somebody called us Refartments well. I was like, that's pretty good, actually. <laughs> and you know, I, I like the fact that you're applying so many, um, things of your childhood to what you're doing now because you said the escapism part right building your own universes within the music you know your musicality and, and whatnot and just having a whole concept and not only that but also applying symphonic elements the way you, you kind of listen to as a child into what you're doing now so it kind of is coming full circle for me a little bit I'm not gonna lie <laughs> um, yeah and that's that's the fun i hate to say i wear my existence very it, it is what it is, you know. I, I, I do too. And, so. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I love this lore. I love deep stories. I love, uh, I actually love emotional stories, which is why we've been trying to learn how to capture more emotional. It's like extreme metal, but what if there's a sad part? I want to see a sad part in this Dagum song, you know, or, you know, how to capture these uh, relatable emotions, but on different planets. But that started in Refume as well. And pretty, pretty much Zyle is in the same universe as Rafim as well. It's the exact same. Matter of fact, the gods that we, well, we made these beings called the Atai. The Atai are these, the first uh, sentient life forms that uh, was created out of this very complex that we have the Ata and Ovo, which is the structure of the physical, tangible uh, universe. And then you have these gateways. It's, it, it was very M theory, very string theory, but if, what if it was a biocentristic universe? So you have a universe that life is a fundamental force, just like gravity, uh, strong nu and weak nuclear forces, and uh, what, what about electromagnetism? Gr life is a force, and it, life's purpose was uh, was the highest evolution of the universe self-replicate its ability to create, thus life. And so uh, come the first beings uh, from this thing called uh, Aya. And Aya, no one understands because all the stories are actually told from the point of view of a scholar trying to understand it. That's why there's so many weird, it's like, what, are, what is this? Well, it's, you know, we don't know either. <laughs> We're trying to understand. And so uh, we create this, the Atai, which are the first beings. Uh, and you see sometimes they, some are formless, some 
actually look humanoid and have armor, but the armor isn't for fighting. The armor is more, uh, they have kind of like a disease. Their, their frequency doesn't match up to certain dimensions, so they phase in and out, so the armor contains them as a, as a vessel. And so these beings help propagate life. But the thing about the Atai is they're, they're so proud. I mean, they can raise their hand and disintegrate you. You know, they can, because they have the ability to alter matter. But they don't know war. They don't have the mindset for war because it's not even on their thing. So whenever other organic life forms emerged um, and they try to shift it, they were actually... You know, when wars started happening, it, it took them off guard. So some of them start creating their own variants, uh, a deviant kind of a tie, which create these more aggressive beings. And so we use that as a fundamental of this universe. There's these beings, the tie, you have, every, you know, and we have these planets. It's kind of got an HR Geiger mixed with Mortal Kombat kind of feel. You know, Mortal Kombat and HR Geiger had a baby with Prometheus. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, uh, and you're bringing it back to your childhood with the Mortal Kombat thing, right? Yeah. yeah. With our new armor, people were like, you love more. It's like, we ain't mean to. We're just trying to put on a, you know, if you're on a different planet, you need a respirator. So usually to we want to uh, convert nitrogen on one planet uh, and get your right levels of oxygen. You want to wear, you know, we have a space. So we try to be somewhat like, what if you're on another planet? You would need a face mask. Plus what COVID hit, we were like, this would be a good time. <laughs> but now people are just like, oh, you like Mortal Kombat characters. <laughs> Which, hey, that's cool. Absolutely. Too. Now, branching off of your comment with the whole, the whole um, story uh, behind story. the concept, behind the band, how do you apply it musically? How, where, how do you know when to put in, um, I don't know, symphonic elements or, you know, choose what riff to put them over, what's going to make sense? How do you know what you're kind of wanting to get out of it musically just within the concept itself. Whew. All right. So, <laughs> so we first make the concept. We, we sit down and we, we all sit down and try to drive where the stories will go. We make a storyboard from the stories. We start outlining key events. So this one story, there's a big war. This one story, we have to cut a head off of a God and carry it around. And it's kind of Greekish. It actually speaks to us. Again. So well, that's pretty cool. One song, there's a very emotional part. So mine might die or have betrayal. So we take that part and we outline these in like uh, like chapters. So pretty much every song is a chapter in the story. So then we go through each emotion. So uh, this song, like for example, uh, Zion, the very first song as decreed, uh, it's more. It's it's got to everything we do is as two meanings. But mm -hmm. in short. It's pretty much the queen disintegrating a, so there's these two, there's a war happening and the whole album that starts out with this war happening that us, the watchers have went to quell this uh, or calm this war down. And we brought back the instigator and, uh, oh, I think, it, are you still there? Yeah, we're good. Okay, sorry, my screen went weird. All right, so, um, uh, so we bring back this instigator to the queen. And, uh, and she, it's, she, we got to the year, but she's very complicated. Uh, so she, it pretty much the song was her raising her hand up and disintegrating him right in front of us. And all pieces of them flying everywhere. And, and, and you can see like the heads falling over. And what it's doing is outlining the nature of this world that we were sold from a prison, which led off from our last album to here, the queen bought us cause she's a collector. And uh, she found that we have gifts. She's like, pretty cool. We become part of her elite guard. She is, uh, uh, but so in short, there's a love story. The main character falls in love with the queen, yada, yada. So when she disintegrates this guy, uh, it's, you know, there's this effect. You know, if you watch somebody that you love disintegrate somebody, you're going to be like, holy crap. <laughs> right. Um, now with... And you know, obviously, we're talking about the the uh, the new the newest output, uh, blood tide, blood tide rising. It's all, I'm tripping over my words today. I apologize, uh, but you know, um, but even going back to say like the last uh, air airbiter in like 2018, you know, what did you guys strive to do musically in between these records? 
Right. Uh, and, and so you kind of you kind of went in that, but I think I got it. So uh, the last, and, and let's see. So the album is called The Last Arbiter was about, he was trying to, um, it, it actually started out as, it's kind of like the movie Logan uh, with Wolverine. He, you know, it was very dismal. He's going through some crap. Well, the album starts out with this character who's actually a character from Rufus Well. The whole album Zyle, the whole concept Zyle was really, was it was a personal project for a second. Like, you know, and I wanted it to, to be just about this character named Darmok originally. All right. Uh, and Darmok, in short, and this will tie into why in the, la in the last Arbiter, but in short, he's immortal technically, but it's very brutal. Like, it's not a good thing how he's immortal. He's, uh, in short, his his body was uh, he he pissed off a god pretty much, <laughs> and uh, named Sototh Shaw uh, was his was his a tie uh, that uh, was deviant, very Book of Enoch. He rebelled and came down to this planet, and they praised him like a god. Well, this general was in, was given a task by one of the other tie to spy on him. Well, he called him, and so when you die in this this multiverse, I try to make it. We don't know what happens, but. Uh, the, the beings are so advanced, they can actually read your thoughts from your quantum energy. The, their last room, they can find out what you know. And the problem is, Darmok already seen some things. He's seen this God thing do some things. So they pondered, how do we kill him, but not just kill him, like erase his existence. So they came up with what was called the Crucible of Titans, which was this idea that they would split the dimension and put him in this dimension. It's very Greekish, where they would... They, they, this one being, which was a called Shry, which you know that's a song in our in our up in Zael. Shry, there was Shry, Kuru, and Vrol. I think it was some made up crap names, but these are really mean uh, a tie, and they pretty much uh, kind of like clone themselves in a way. It's very weird what they've done, and they stalk him in this dimension and rip off his skin every day. But the thing what they've done is they have these artifacts that allow him to regenerate his body and what they did is they, they literally stabbed it to his bones and so he will always regrow his anatomy even at the most quantum level he'll always regenerate long enough for them to rip off his skin again but the idea is they want to and they, they murdered his family so they're walking behind him they're explaining how they raped and killed his family ripping off his skin what they're trying to do just like a computer is fragment him like what if they can fragment the inner the quantum information left to such a way of distraught that if a being was to read it, they couldn't make out. So it was like, how do you murder someone's soul kind of idea? And uh, they almost succeeded, but then he, he escaped out with some help. And that character is a character I liked. I like this guy. So this album started out with this character, but the problem is his body regenerates, but his brain doesn't. So, I mean, his brain does the, the physical nature of his brain, but the computing power of his brain does not get any better. So whatever, so as he gets older, how much how much computational power can you have? How much mental, you know, you see horrible things, it starts. So he's starting to develop schizophrenia. He's starting to develop, uh, and which plays in the album. There is a way you can theoretically kill him. <laughs> Try not to be too much. <laughs> you have to let me know if it's too much information. But um, all good, all good. All right, but in short, if if he's he's immortal as long as he meets the qualifications for life in a way, uh, but he has such mental schizophrenic mo uh, episodes that it's almost like narcolepsy. Because I'm actually narcoleptic, right? So I, I have some brain damage, uh, a TBI that calls narcolepsy. So I put that quality on this character. When he has those episodes, you can theoretically murder him. But you can't kill his body. His body will always regenerate. But you can stop his cognition in a way. It's weird. And so that's what Shri is this deviant Atai, which they call a demon pretty much. Right. It's trying to murder him. And in short, he actually captures Shri. Eventually, this is later, he actually goes back and finds Shri. And he captures Shri. And he keeps Shri on a like a quantum tether, uh, like a chain. Mm -hmm. And the reason he done this, imagine you're immortal. You have a moral dilemmas. Uh, he believes if he fails at everything, if he can change this thing that wants to murder him, 
if he could change its ways, then he would have succeeded at least one thing in his life. In other words, the shrine represents his guilt, like he always keeps his guilt on him. Uh, so it's kind of got some iconography and stuff with it, you know. So that's kind of what lays the foundation of how the story starts. But how do you how do you build off of it um, on a musical level between the two albums? Like, what did you guys do want to add to Blood Tie that you didn't on, say, the last Arbiter record? Right. So, uh, in the shortest way possible, the first album ends with us getting imprisoned. Right. So the second album, we start with us getting out. Of, we're sold off to this queen. Right. So the first album, we were trying to go more folky because. We were at different places in life at this time, and not to get all again sentimental. Uh, I was married. I was together almost 17 years. Had a child. Wow. Everything was good, right? Uh -huh. And I felt happier. So I had to tap into older memories to find that upset feeling again, right? Um, so it became it came out folky, but with extreme metal still. But it had these really good curves with a, a more melodic overtone. But this album, uh, we were trying to we were trying to make a more folky, you know, you're, we're, it's a space thing, but it's kind of like Thor Ragnarok in a way. You know, you got this kind of folky feel in space. It's kind of cool, but a lot of bad things happened, you know, in the last two years. In short, uh, divorced uh, unexpectedly, which lost a lot, <laughs> maybe too much. Uh, well, some of our other band members they lost a lot. One one man member, he's fighting for his son. I'm fighting for my son. Uh, lots of that, you know, that we didn't have control over. So we're we're pretty mad. <laughs> so the pandemic hits at the same time. We're like, you know what? I am so mad. So this wow. album come out way more heavier than we intended. So <laughs> interesting. But, but here's what I'm gonna. Here's where I'm going with this too. I also feel you applied uh, as. Uh, better songwriters in turn in in essence where it's you know these songs are aren't like eight minutes long you know these are shorter pieces of music but it it what here's here's where i'm going with this a lot of symphonic bands tend to overdo it as far as um having you know a big spacious kind of song and and you know blast beats fucking just the whole nine ten minutes long but you guys kind of did that in a shorter time span, but you didn't at the same time. Like I, I actually really enjoyed listening to this album for, you know, for the first, second, third, fourth, you know, I've, I've listened to it a lot now and, and I've just, I enjoy it every single time. And I'm, and I guess where I'm going with this is you guys applied a more direct, you know, style to the songwriting that maybe you hadn't had on, on the last Arbiter record. Exactly. Actually, uh, there's a few reasons. One is we actually talk about this. People's attention spans suck. So uh, <laughs> you get past four or five minutes, I feel like you already start looking. Like, I love six and seven minute songs. I love a 10 minute song, but people don't in a mass. <laughs> uh, so we actually purposely were like, what we did is if there was a song that was nine minutes, we, we changed the intros. We made it a little bit different, maybe the time signatures a little bit, and we made it a second song because, uh, and, and not to mention, it's kind of like a, a good movie. If you if you can convey quality stuff within a shorter time frame, I think it beats out trying to just push and push and keep elongating this this long journey. We want it to be more of a, of a quick impact than a, this mostly because of people's attention spans. And <laughs> actually, Grant Truesdale, uh, you know, guitar for Unleashed Archers, he actually brought up one time, because Refumus Wells is very symphonic. Like, if right. you listen to most of it, it's very symphonic. And uh, I love making symphonies. Uh, but he brought up a good point. He said, man, put the guitars in the foreground. Make what you're going to do live the essence of what you're going to, you know. So if you're playing, if you have backing tracks, People don't want to come to see back and tracks all the time. They want to see you play, make that the focal point. And so that's kind of what we did. We made the guitars more guitar-centric uh, than to have uh, these giant elaborate keyboard parts throughout the whole mix. 
because we don't have a keyboard player. Right. Things are, you know, are hard to find. (laughs) Absolutely. And, you know, speaking, and I can, I can speak for this. Our our last record had a lot of symphonic elements to it. Um, But how we applied it is, is we needed to make, we, we applied it as, as making that as a melody over say like a, not, not a boring riff, but like, you know, just a, a foundational riff as I'll call it. Right. But with you guys, I mean, there's there's so many symphonic elements I couldn't even get started on it. I'm just kind of curious with you with choosing the parts on where these symphonic parts should should go. How did you find the um, the balance in, in terms of the mix for um, you know not making the guitars way too loud to where you couldn't even hear any of the symphonic elements? It's kind of a balanced mix, and this is another key element to where I was going with this is it's it's a perfectly balanced record, especially in extreme music with symphonic elements so how did you guys find the balance in terms of the mix oh that's it's kind of nice to hear that <laughs> but yeah it was um um uh, it's i'm trying to figure out the best way to explain it uh, <laughs> um well i don't know if it'll tie in i ramble a lot so you have to like bring me back in but uh different instruments have different feelings so if I'm playing this chugging, and I want to make this, I want my brass to sweep in just enough, right? And then you get this, uh, uh, but then we might have a clean vocalist because we, mm-hmm. I do clean vocals and my other guitar player does clean vocals. I have the more folky sound. He has this really cool, almost, people say Vortex all the time. Yeah, He's like, oh. it's, it's, it's It totally reminds me of Demo, dude. It's I, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> which which I'm at, I love that sound. I was like, man, that was awesome. And uh, but um, uh, so we actually do plan t- according to the feel of that moment. We're very momentary. It's like in this moment, this brass should be doing this, but I need the guitars. So we actually bump the guitars a little bit here to be more chugging out. But we might draw them back in the chorus and let the let the key swell a little more, especially with more vocals. So it's purely a combination of trying to find the right texture combination and what emotion are we trying to convey? If we want this epic look at us kind of feel, uh, you know, we'll, we'll bring the keys up a little bit. Weirdly, we use less. We focus more on like brass swells and uh, uh, things. But we use a lot of, uh, we're going to be integrating coming up more actual folk instruments, live folk okay. instruments. So but like we're self-making vi- these things. Like viol- violins and, and cellos and all that. Okay. Actually, our singer plays cello. Uh, he was a celloist in, in school. He could play it really well, and he actually <laughs> did some stuff on some tracks. But he's really wanting to figure out, because live, imagine we got to fly to Mexico and taking this giant cello. It, it ain't going to work, probably. No. It, it costs too much money. So we're making like this little leer kind of thing that he, we're wanting to integrate in. And uh, try to integrate more stuff as part of our life, even our instruments, down to the point where we're talking about some of our instruments are like our weapon. When we're going into war, you might have a sword on your back or a spear. Well, right. our singers have like this little drum thing that he carries. And this. Well, and so we're trying to come up with these really crafty ways to use even our instruments as our props to make us look more, um, you know, in the world. So Totally. Uh, well, so- I diverge. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, dude, in 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 turn, I'd I'd like I'd like to thank you for coming on the show. Hopefully, we can do this again. I'd love to bring you back on with you know when whenever you got some new stuff. Um, I, and just tell me us and the and the listeners and, and the watchers here, you know, where can people find Blood Tide Rising and, and especially anything uh, from you guys? Because you know, while I was searching for it on Bandcamp, I only found a couple things. So if I wanted to go and and purchase these, you know, this this absolutely killer record that i can't highly recommend enough for extreme metal fans especially if you want something a little bit different than than what's out there today um the zyle record is is perfect for that so where can people find the record right um uh and, and I, as a shame because i do hear a lot of people ask why you know band camp uh it's through pavement entertainment uh and i think they go through the sony red x thing so that's uh, Sony, I think, takes care of that. So they use uh, their own kind of thing when it comes out. So you can go to Pavement Entertainment. You can actually go to um, uh, Pavement Entertainment website. I need to figure out what that is. But the easiest way is to go to www.eldersverse. So that's E L D E R S V E R S E dot com. 
Um, and we, we have lore, we have merch, and we have direct links where you can just click it and you can get our digital stuff and our physical stuff. So again, www.eldersverse.com. That's kind of like our umbrella, our umbrella word right. of our multiverse. So. And what do you guys have coming up, lastly? What are you guys planning on on maybe doing like a West Coast thing or a, a North American thing or a European thing once things start to open up back up again? Well, first thing we're going, we're doing a video for every song, so that's what we're working on. We got a video coming out probably next week. Um, I just finished doing a whole green room to finish the rest of the videos, but then we're going to be looking at doing a. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, touring as soon as we can go to tour. Actually, we have a really big tour. I'm just waiting to get the confirmation for announcing, but if when, as soon as it announces, oh, I'm telling everybody because I grew up with the band, so absolutely, yeah, definitely yeah, dude, I'd love to bring you back on and promote it for you. So, um, dude, Joshua, thank you so much for giving me a couple minutes of your time to do this. I really appreciate it, man. So, right, thank you very much. Absolutely, man. Um, another episode of Popper's Corner. I'm out of here, guys. Cheers. Joshua Toomey here of the Talk To Me podcast. And before we get into this next episode on the CMS Podcast Network, let's talk about the Talk To Me t-shirt. It is awesome. It has a skull, pizza, and headphones, all the great things in life. <laughs> so if you want to support the Talk To Me podcast, head over to talktomepod.com, scroll to the bottom of the screen, order yourself a Talk To Me t-shirt, let your friends and family know that you support the Talk To Me podcast, and that would be much appreciated. So once again, guys, talktomepod.com, and now on to the episode you actually came to see.